Welcome to Lifeblood. This is George G. And the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Kyle Swinsky. Kyle, are you ready to do this? Yes, I am. Thank you, George. All right, let's go. Kyle is the CEO of AM Opportunities. They're an organization creating educational experiences like research internships for healthcare trainees and other services, advancing the next generation of physicians. Kyle, excited to have you on. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work and why you do what you do. Yeah. So yeah, we're going into 10 years now of AM Opportunities. And I like to think of it as my, my passion. Uh, I got my start helping international students about 15 years ago as an undergraduate student. And at the time, it was all about getting into medical school. Um, I, I realized at the time that there were other things going on, such as helping international students, where there was such a demand point for getting international students into the U.S. healthcare system that I thought, let's take a year off and, and, and build a business. And really, it naturally took off into this business that helps international healthcare students get into the United States uh, for their healthcare training. Uh, the cool thing about the passion is that it was originally uh, and still is an access problem where you know, traditionally international students had difficulties coming into the States because they had to find opportunities. I would say fast track today, it's helping students just down the road find opportunities. So our business, while we started as an international facing business, it's helping all healthcare students today. And all healthcare students have the same problem, getting access to educational training. But I still think it's it's important what we do. We still help students from over 100 countries. Um, and during the pandemic, it became even more important just because travel was shut down, healthcare was in, in need, and uh, the passion is still the same, I'd say. So 10 years ago, it was about access. And when we talk to our 40-plus employees now about our mission and vision, it's it's exactly the same. And is that your fault, Kyle, that you haven't created the access, or there's just so much demand? <laughs> you know, I think uh, the problem just doesn't go away. I think there is so much demand, and there's it's it's also more of a, a systemic, a more a system type of problem. You know, the demand comes in where, of course, there's everyone, you know, everyone, but a lot of people want to go into healthcare. You, you kind of see it already in the United States, where it's really tough to get into medical school. Just put that at a macro level. Just as it's tough to get into medical school, it's just as hard to find access to healthcare education. Which is uh, which? Which from the outside looking in is confusing because I believe we have a shortage in a lot of the important areas. Right, <laughs> it is confusing. I think it comes down to the lack of training opportunities. So uh, a good meta or a good analogy would be: as you look at a medical school, they have spots for about 150 students in class. That's a U.S. medical school or international school. Those 150 students, they have to go and learn what life is like becoming a doctor or a nurse, which they call clinical hours. So you go into a hospital, you go work with a clinic, and you have to do this for uh, X amount of hours. For medical school, it's two to three years. For nurses, it's about 180 or something hours uh, that changes. For uh, physician assistants, they have their hours. And what you find is that with virtual learning, online classrooms, and new schools building, the demand and the amount of students in the classroom is outpacing the amount of clinical training available. And you got to think with the pandemic, when there are more patients in the hospitals, uh, the hospitals were closing down because they also needed to allocate space to other areas. 
uh, that shut down a lot of training for students, which already were having troubles before the pandemic. So when you have international students that need clinical training, U.S. students that need clinical training, all different types of healthcare trainees, it really becomes something where, yeah, there are shortages, but these these issues are actually what caused the shortages where, you know, if every medical school actually had more clinical training, they could accept more students into their classrooms, but they have to be selective. They have to turn students away because of that bottleneck right there. That's fascinating. It's a, it makes sense that, that medical schools are selective. I want my doctor to be the smartest human being on planet earth or (laughs) wherever human beings exist. Um, But that's really, there's that. And you're, your assertion is that there are plenty of other people who are perfectly capable of becoming doctors, but they aren't able to because of this bottleneck of a lack of clinical spots for training. Exactly. exactly. Got it. And so you recognize this problem and the solution is? The solution is, is, is at scale, creating more training opportunities, creating better ways to provide access and being the uh, you know, going in and explaining to these health systems how important these students really are, because there are places that have less training, rural care, America, uh, and a lot of hot spots that it's not just because they don't want to train. You know, a lot of those doctors and healthcare professionals want to train, but first, students don't know about them, so it's creating training in places that just never students couldn't find in the first place, and then it's faculty development. Uh, getting doctors to teach the first time and, and getting them to join the network. So for us, and we have roughly about 500 live training sites around the country on our platform that all are providing us different types of training, different specialties, different locations, different types, different requirements. And at scale, we're able to provide that to learners in many different shapes and forms. And that, that access piece is not just through that, the business model itself, but also the technology that allows for students to find exactly what they need, as well as their schools who they can do what they can in their own, you know, one school at a time. But say one school in New Jersey needs to send students to the state of Ohio. You know, New Jersey is really focused on New Jersey or the country of India is focused where their school is. We're able to help those schools, those students get into different states, different locations while their school focuses on their home court. Got it. And and now it's, it's starting to sort of make sense to me that that the physician who's been a practicing physician or medical professional for 20 years, this would be a wonderful person to be able to learn from. But that doesn't mean that they can teach 500 people. It doesn't mean that they want to to take on that responsibility. Is that part of the problem? So it's yeah, yeah, part, part, part. Yeah, I mean, they, a, a typical doctor may be three hours away from the nearest healthcare school. And they may not be part of a, a teaching hospital, but they want to teach. Uh, and that's a perfect teacher to join our network. Or the teacher that is at, say, you know, Johns Hopkins or Harvard, that's teaching already, but they want to teach even more because there's opportunities for them to get more students in. So really, it's just uh, creating more scale and finding opportunities in all different areas. And at scale, it allows us to, to really bring the solution forward. So how does it actually work? Do the people so, go to these places? Exactly. So our our uh, we like to call it software enabled services because service is really what we do. Students come to our platform or a school. They'll find 
the rotation they need or rotations, they'll sign up and really were there before, during, and after in terms of student services. So a student would come to us or their school, and right away our staff help the student set up their experience, attend their experience. And then when they leave their experience, a lot of times they need a, a letter of recommendation to advance in their career or a letter for credit uh, so that they can transfer this to their school. We do all of that for the students and every school that we work with so that it really just continues their education and they can go on and, and become the physician they'd like to be. I love it. Is there a typical length of time for, for a rotation? Yeah. Usually there are four week blocks for medical students. Uh, it ranges sometimes where you can do 12 weeks, uh, in the medical field, a lot of times it's by the week or by the month, and that kind of goes in with your academic calendar. If you're a nurse practitioner, sometimes you're a lot allocated uh, X amount of time to finish X amount of hours. So rather than in four weeks finishing it, you may have a set three months to finish X amount of hours and go when you need to go. But at the end of the day, there's, there's some rhythm and rhyme to it, um, and the blocks are in cadence typically like that. So just to use a really simplistic example, I am in medical school, I'm interested in being a, um, a podiatrist. And so I need a set number of, of, of rotations that is just required for me to matriculate and graduate. And if I'm in Princeton, New Jersey, and there's not a spot at the local teaching hospital, I can go to AM Opportunities and potentially find one in Idaho or Arizona. Exactly. Exactly. Got it. Okay. That's awesome. And how, how, who, who pays for it? It's usually the school or the student. Um, all healthcare students already are paying for rotations in the term in the, in the fashion of tuition, your final two or three years of healthcare school. When you pay your tuition, your teachers are actually physicians or nurses, professionals that are teaching. Um, we're just outsourcing that for the school. So the school will pay us a lot of times. A lot of the U.S. schools are paying us because it's it's outsourcing what, what they're supposed to do for their students. And then the students will pay us. Uh, and that's because the students are doing it outside of their, their traditional uh, school and they want to do this to augment their career. And I mean, really, it's a, it's a big thing for international students especially. So 27% of all U.S. physicians are internationally trained. And to stand out, when they want to get a job here, they really need those letters of recommendation. So to them, paying out of pocket makes a lot of sense because they're paying for something that really puts them ahead of the game. Um, and that it's really about adding things to your resume. So good question. It's the student and schools that pay. But at the end of the day, where this goes in the future, it really should be the system as a whole that pays because you brought up the main point. There are healthcare shortages. So when we approach a hospital to train our students, we're constantly trying to negotiate to bring the costs down to the student school, the closer we can get to them hiring that professional, because we all know that health systems are paying a lot uh, short term and long term to attract talent to address workforce challenges. And in the near term, they're starting to realize more and more that investing in education and training is really the long term strategy. So I we spoke again in five years. I would love to tell you that healthcare systems are paying for this and that everyone that trains is getting employed to, to, to continue the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. That certainly does make sense. Um, even greater sense that if I'm a healthcare system that has a need for nurses, if I were, 
also able to design the curriculum and give them the training that I wanted them to have, I could then have them work in my healthcare system. It would be a virtuous cycle. Exactly. Exactly. So what have been, um, obviously, I don't know how many companies like AM Opportunities there are out there, but I imagine you were one of the first that's trying to do this. Maybe you still are. What what were some of the big challenges to to getting adoption, getting getting it started? I'd say travel was the first one, uh, really building up our visa services and helping students really getting into the country. Um, doing it 10 years now, it's really become, uh, that's that's not as big of a problem. I think the the other problem is really just convincing health systems to train more um, because, I mean, physicians, nurses, they're busy, especially during the pandemic and the burnout is real. Um, and, and convincing physicians to train students at more sometimes can be difficult, uh, but the value proposition is really strong. So I'd say like the greatest challenge really is sometimes building the training itself. Uh, and that's where it really comes down to the, the value proposition, which is the workforce challenges. Um, and sometimes I'd say that the third challenge at the end of the day, too, is more uh, aside from the travel, find the sites. I think it's also find the right sites. So a, a big issue right now, maybe OB-GYN or pediatrics. Um, students are having a lot of difficulty finding some of those types of specialties. And it's really uh, even the schools that you would think, oh, that's a famous school. They have those. They don't have those rotations right now sometimes. So I think the biggest challenges all at the end of the day are about getting the students the training they need, because if they can't get that one rotation, it puts them a year back from graduating. Um, and that puts our workforce shortage front and center. Front and center. How frustrating. Yeah. Like literally, if I'm... <laughs> You were to make the investment of uh, of going to medical school of time, attention, and money and your heart and soul into it, and you're being delayed just because you can't get a rotation. That Gosh, that would drive me freaking crazy. <laughs> there is hope, though. Uh, I mean, I, I the hope that I had is in the last three years, even through the pandemic, we grew each year in terms of number of students we helped and number of sites that we managed. And we, you don't think that that'd be a shrinking time because that was when healthcare systems were closing their doors. Students were not traveling. We couldn't fly anywhere, but just the sheer demand and the sheer need, um, it gives me a lot of hope actually, because I think that there's a lot, I don't like to think of it as light in the tunnel. I just think that it's getting better and better the more that people see it. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly does make sense. But just because something makes sense, Kyle, doesn't mean that 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 it's always going to work the way that we want it to. How, how Have you run into political headwinds of like immigration issues with one party says we don't want any people coming into the country, anything like that? We have. And I think the, that one of the nice things about doing this now for 10 years is that we've seen a lot. Um, you know, when we started the company, there was a lot of things going around the world. Um, you know, four years ago, we had ups and downs too, and the pandemic. And just the what we have seen is that healthcare education, and you know, they, they're kind of at this not just recession proof, but also in the way that we know we need healthcare education. And even from the perspective of bringing international doctors in the United States, uh, we all we, we do agree that's really important. There definitely have been issues before, of course, when we aren't allowed to travel from one country to the other or currency issues have been sometimes an issue where the dollar right now is very strong in a lot of countries. Um, 
that's always going to happen up and down, but we always will need healthcare. We're always going to need training, education, and those two industries, they, they can't fail. Um, it's more about the short-term issues. So when the pandemic started, the first month of the pandemic, I mean, the business went like this and shut down for about a month in terms of things, but we introduced virtual training um, and things by July were back to the best in over two years because as soon as we opened the doors to a real need, everyone came back in. So it's a, you know, it's a good question about the, the things that can hurt us, but I always find hope in the fact that you know, there'll be the ups and downs, but it's kind of like this, it's kind of going up and up and up. Are standards, and I don't know if that's the right term or not, are, are being able to be next to a physician physically is probably invaluable. But it's also amazing through our current, through new technology coming out that does make the experience virtual. Um, how, how, is, how is that trending changing? It's opening doors. It's allowing for more access to education and augmenting education. But there are still core educational outcomes that you need to be in person for. So in virtual training, uh, well, the way we do it is a student would join on the laptop, do the learning with the patient and the physician who would be in a different room, whether the physician's in a different room, the patients or patient physician together and student in a different room. And after the patient, student and physician are together, they get out and that's when the physician would ask them questions and make sure they're learning the material. You can get a lot out of that, but of course, being in the room, seeing all the things that you would see in person, obviously you get a, a lot more. Um, and what that means is that there are certain things that we can do online and virtual, and there are certain things we can't. And what we've seen in the accreditors and the way schools have been doing it, um, things that require bedside manner, you know, being next to the bed or how to speak with the patient you know, directly face-to-face, -face, those things are still required to be in person. Um, but there are certain things early on in medical school that really are just about getting, you know, the that the basic science, things like that can be virtual. So in, 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 in a lot of ways, it's helped us because some education now is shifting virtual and it's allowing more people to do it. But it's also shedding light on the fact that the in-person piece is required um, and for some components as well. Yeah, cool. Makes sense. <laughs> I think you mentioned pediatrics and, and OB medicine. Are, are those, what are some of the areas that are really most in need? I mean, PEDS, PEDS has been tough. I mean, when the pandemic hit, uh, the ICUs were utilized uh, really a lot in terms of you see every hospital talking about how many ICU beds they had left and they started taking the beds away from the pediatric units. So pediatricians didn't have enough clinical space for their own patients, let alone teach. So there was a shortage of pediatrics training. Same thing with OB-GYN, um, baby deliveries. Um, and now you're seeing it again with the RSV, the respiratory virus, where if you ever see uh, professional doctors get pulled into something like that, that directly affects the training because it takes their time away from training students. OB-GYN is tough, especially because in rural healthcare America, um, it's harder to find OB-GYN physicians. You always find those stories where if you're in, you know, a rural city, you may have to travel 30 miles to find that, that first OB-GYN doctor because of our shortages. So that's the imbalance there where we just don't have enough. Um, and that's the that's that's healthcare shortages uh, hurting us, of course. Fascinating. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you and AM Opportunities? 
Appreciate it, George. Uh, just www.emopportunities.org. It's the website that schools, clinical sites that want to teach, as well as students, they can find out more about us. Um, can always reach out and we'll, we'll get you in front of the right person. And we're, we're about 40 employees here in Chicago and really uh, so it's, it's another growth year this year. So very excited to help more and more students than ever before. Yeah, love it. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Kyle your appreciation and share today's show with a friend that also appreciates good ideas. Go to AM Opportunities. Was that .org, Kyle? .org, exactly. So AM, just the two letters, A, then M, then the word opportunities, .org, and check out all the cool stuff that Kyle and the team are working on and how they're working to solve one of the biggest problems that we're facing that most people don't know about. <laughs> Thanks again, Kyle. Thank you so much, Jordan. And I really appreciate this. Thank you. Until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.